please turn to Proverbs chapter 2. We're going to read some passages from Proverbs 2 and chapter 3 today. This is part two of our message, of our series on wisdom. And today I'm going to talk about a subject that's not fun to talk about. It's, we're talking about the subject of authority. Authority, and I'm going to talk about relativism. Proverbs chapter 2, I'm going to read verses 1 through 15, and then we're going to jump to chapter 3, verse 1 through 8. And I know I said 19 to 20, but I'll read 19 to 26. I know we're jumping around a little bit. Um, chapter 2, verse 1, this is the word of God. My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding, yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. We talked about the fear of the Lord last week. This is how, we get, how you get there. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and, and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the path of justice and walking over the way of his saints. Then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity, every good path. For wisdom will come into your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. It's not just in your head. It goes into your heart and into your soul. Discretion will watch over you. Understanding will guard you, delivering you from the way of evil, from men of perverted speech who forsake the paths of uprightness to walk in the ways of darkness, who rejoice in doing evil and delight in the perverseness of evil, men whose paths are crooked and who are devious in their ways. Let's go to chapter 3, verse 1. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. So you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. And please pay attention to this next set of verses. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Let's lastly let's go to chapter, uh, verse 19. Chapter 3, verse 19. The Lord by wisdom founded the earth. By understanding, he established the heavens. By his knowledge, the deeps broke open and the clouds dropped down the dew. My son, do not lose sight of these. Keep sound wisdom and discretion, and they will be life for your soul and adornment for your neck. Then you will walk on your way securely, and your foot will not stumble. If you lie down, you will not be afraid. When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. I like that, right? Do not be afraid of sudden terror or of the ruin of the wicked when it comes, 
for the Lord will be your confidence and will keep your foot from being caught. It's a lot of great promises. Um, let me pray for today's message. Lord, these are, we do want these things. We want our sleep to be sweet. And we want to know how to not receive the words of perverted, crooked men. We want to know what is righteousness and justice and equity in every good path, Lord. And so today I pray that we would receive a message which is so basic and yet so fundamental, so important that we would learn to trust in the Lord with all our hearts and do not lead on our own understanding. And let you reign and have authority over us. I pray that today as I talk about, we are such a resist, a people so resistant to authority and have such problems, Lord. I pray that you would help unfurl all this, this negativity and anger and rebellion and this me first and I want to own my own life and I control my own destiny. This spirit that is so strong in us, we pray that you would unloose the spirit and you would uh, put into our hearts your words of wisdom and let who you are be in the tablet of our hearts so that we would become deeper and wiser and truer people and of lives which flourish under you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. As I usually do, I'm going to um, talk about my message today in three acts. Act one, I'm going to talk about the problem of authority. We are a people that have great problems with authority. We do not like authority in this culture, right? Act two, I'd like to talk about relativism. It's a very common attitude and very common set of beliefs in our society, and I want to talk about relativism today. And part three, I'm going to talk about what I call the freedom of submission to real wisdom. There's a freedom of submitting to wisdom. All right? Let's talk about authority. Um, first, let me make a distinction. There is a difference between authority and authoritarianism. Authority and authoritarianism. You know, you know what that difference is? Authority is simply this. Someone or something tells you what to do, they have power to tell you how to be. This is right, this is wrong. Be this way, don't be this way. Go this way, don't go this way. They tell you what to do and you're supposed to obey it. These are words we don't like. Obey, submit, (laughs) follow. We don't like these kinds of words. But someone or something gets to tell you what to do and you have to do it. That's authority. And let me just, just point out to you not all authority is bad. Okay? In fact, a lot of authority is good. Maybe even a lot, maybe even most of authority is good. When you drive out of this building here today and you go home, you're going to hit a light. And if that light is red, you know what you're going to do? You're going to stop, or at least I hope you stop. And you know what you're doing? You're obeying authority. That's what you're doing. And if you don't, a couple of bad things could occur. You will go through that intersection and you will either hit somebody or somebody will hit you. And then you will go to jail. (laughs) All right? And that is probably something you don't want to happen. Right? Another thing that could happen is there will be a person wearing a special uniform who will see you, stop you, and give you a little piece of paper and you will become poorer. (laughs) Okay? (laughs) And that will be a bad consequence of the fact that you decided authority is not for you. And anybody who decides they don't like authority in their life, 
bad things will happen to them, right? So authority is not particularly bad things. But you know, the reason we don't like authority, it's one among many reasons we don't like authority, is there's something also called authoritarianism. What, the, what is authoritarianism? That is the use of authority to make the person that wields the authority feel more powerful and in control, and they typically tend to use the authority in, uh, and they use that power in a selfish and often unjust manner. Right? So when we think of authority, we immediately think authoritarianism. And so cluttered in our mind, all authority is bad authority. Everybody's got an agenda. I want you to be authentic. Show me that you, you don't have any weird agenda. And we tend to think that all authority is authoritarianism. Not true. Right? But this being a wicked, fallen, sinful world, a lot of authority is. It is cluttered and corrupted by authoritarianism. Heck, it's right even probably your own father. You don't even like your father because your father sometimes gets a little too control freak and he thinks he has authoritarianism. He believes in authoritarianism, not just good authority. But, you know, we have a serious problem with this in our, in our life. And if you have a problem with, if you have an anti-authoritarian streak, anti-authority streak in your heart, and you generally think that I do not like to listen to anybody tell me what to do and nobody gets to tell me what to do and nobody is over me and I don't have to submit, etc. You know, all of these things that we do. Right away, I would like to um, offer to you something. From all these words that I've said to you, you are already walking down the path toward foolishness. So I want to point out something to you from the Bible that is so obvious that many of you will read it, you probably will miss it. And that is this. Is when you start off reading chapter 2, you notice that the way to wisdom is that you've got to be under somebody. The way to wisdom is to receive authority, to let there be real authority over your life. Look at this. Start, let's start off at chapter 2, verse 1. My son. We're talking a discourse. And I, when I was a younger man, I knew that Proverbs was the book of wisdom, and I knew some things about some of the things that it contained. But I never really read it seriously until I became an adult. And when I read it, I, I, it, was, it really surprised me that much of Proverbs is a discourse between a father speaking to a son. It is really a man of authority talking to someone who needs to learn something. And listen to what he says. If you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding... Yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, then, then, all of that's a big if, if you do this, da, 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 then you understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God, which last we knew was the beginning of wisdom. Look, if you believe in God, and if you are a Christian, and even those people who don't believe in God, they just take this for granted. If there really is something like the way the Bible says, the one true living God, then obviously the guy has authority, doesn't he? I mean, he's omnipotent. He controls all things, and then when he says, you're, so, you're supposed to, I know Christians don't necessarily all, you know, always very good at obeying the authority of who is God, but we all know we're supposed to be under his authority, right? But the way God does authority is he does it through some other people. We all know we're supposed to obey God, but actually the Bible says you're supposed to, you should listen to other people too and willingly receive what they have to say to you. 
The way God made the world was not just that you would only hear his words and then you'll just get it. You know, when I was a younger pastor, I used to think, why can't people just read the Bible? And if you read the Bible, you'll know what it says. And then because you'll know what it says, you'll know what to do. And then you'll just go and do it, right? And if people just get it, I used to think, if people just knew what the Bible said, then they will know and then they can do it, right? That's how it actually works. No. <laughs> what I found out was, eh, that is not how it works. You know how what you actually... Almost every single person, you know what you need? You actually need somebody to play the role of the father and tell you words and say, do this, don't do this. Be like this, don't be like this. This is wise. And you actually receive this. You come to this church, and do you know that if you are, if you come to this church and you I want to actually let church and God, godliness and the, and the Christian life actually work for you, you are letting somebody play the role of the father. In this case, you're letting me. Right? I'm not always sure that's a good idea, but that's what you let me do. You let me play the role of the Father and speak words of wisdom from the Scriptures, from God, and you have to let somebody into your heart to do this. And you know, um, I used to, as a young man, as, I was a good reader, and some people are very good. I'm, I'm a very good reader, by the way, and I'm, I don't mean to brag about this, but I'm extremely good reader. Okay, Some of you good at you know, dribbling a basketball or cooking meals, right? But if you give me a basketball and, and, and it is required that I dribble to save my life, I will die, okay? <laughs> that will happen. I will be dead, okay? But if we have a contest of who can read better, I will win, all right? <laughs> I'm very good at reading. <laughs> and so, but if we read and I say, hey, everybody reads, and, and, but you know what? I found out that even I, who am a very excellent reader, I need somebody else to tell me these words. And in my life, I can just sit down and read the Bible and boom, and then I just get it. You know what, actually, I needed somebody to be above me. I needed, I needed uh, men that I respect and other godly ladies to speak these words into my heart and me to receive them. says, you're above me. And I'll let you be able to, and I'll willingly submit to your authority and receive. And if you want to flourish under God, you have to know, you have to let him be above you. Now, let me, let, let me, let me take you to a particular verse. I gave you a lot of verses to, today, right? Um, but I don't know if you noticed, chapter 2 at the beginning, my son, he says it there. Chapter 3 at the beginning, my son, do not forget my teaching. Right? Chapter 3, verse 20, my son, do not lose sight of these things. I gave you all these verses so you get that repetition. If you go through the whole book, this will come repeatedly. You know what this means? When you approach Proverbs and when you want wisdom, you have to go in like a son who humbly goes under a father and humbly receives. You have to receive authority. And the authority that must absolutely be just so great to you is this. Go to chapter 3, verse 5. Listen. I think this may be some of the most important verses. And as a young man, I was taught to memorize this verse. I actually think this is a tremendously great verse for you to, to, to memorize. Um, I'm not big on, on memory verses, but I think everybody should learn certain verses, right? And they should be so clear in you that they resonate in your heart and your mind. Can't be in your heart if you don't know them, right? But chapter 3, verse 5. 
And most people know verses 5. A lot of Christians know chapter verses 5 and 6. But let's go all the way down to verse 8. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Not with, okay, I'll give them a couple bones on a couple of this and that because I want to trust in the Lord with like eternal tea because I don't want to go to the bad place. <laughs> trust them with all your heart. And here's the next part I want you to get. Do not lean on your own understanding. Let me say that again. Do not lean on your own understanding. One more time. Do not, did I say that again? Do not lean on your own understanding. Again and again and again and again, I've met people. They go, I know some things about the Bible. But then, as soon as they walk out of church, you know what they do? They lean on their own understanding. <laughs> I'm, I'm running the ball. I'm running the show. And, and you know, the, what the Bible here is saying is, as soon as you want to run that, the show like this, but you are not informed by the Lord, you're going to be a fool. And you're going to wreck your life. So, Trust the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Not you will make straight your paths. He will make straight your paths. He will make straight your paths. And listen to this, verse 7. Okay, if, if that wasn't enough, be not wise in your own eyes. Okay. All right. I'm not going to make you raise your hand, but you can raise your hand in your heart. Okay. Who here thinks they are wise in their own eyes? Okay? The Bible just explicitly told you, stop it. <laughs> stop it. I read that. Be not wise in your own eyes. I'm like, dang, that stinks. Right? <laughs> because that, I think I'm a pretty smart guy. I read a lot of books. I know a lot of things. I, I look at myself, I'm pretty above average. I think I'm pretty above average. Don't, doesn't that make me wise? Bible says, in your own eyes, stop it. Right? Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. And listen to this. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Right? Healing to your flesh, your, to, to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. I hope that's something that's appealing to you. It's a pretty incredible promise. Um, You know, we are such an anti-authority society. This thing is just in everywhere. It's in our laws. Um, Let me just give you this little quote. This is in the Supreme. This is in a Supreme Court decision. This is there was a phrase in here that the Supreme Court says that we have the right. This is one of our Supreme Court justices wrote this. To define one's own concept of existence, of meaning, of the universe, and of the mystery of human life. One of the Supreme Court justices wrote this. One of the other Supreme Court justices read that, and he started to make fun of it. <laughs> he said, what? And so then he, wrote, and then he wrote like a disagreement and said, and he mocked this and called this the sweet mystery of life passage. This is so powerful in our society our, our, our smartest judges are actually saying this. But they're just saying out loud what many of us already think. We Americans, we got rights. I got rights. I got the right to define my own existence. I got such rights. I don't even think there's a God about this. But it's not just our Supreme Court. This is us. Right? And we want to think that there's no authority above us. I'm running the show. And, but if that's the case, you know what that means? That's a really heavy thing you're asking for. That means you have to be your own Lord. 
You, you get to call you. That sounds good. I get to be my own Lord. Nobody tells me what to do. Guess what? Let me tell you something else. That means you also have to be your own savior. When things go bad in your life or when you're confused or when you're lost, guess who has to save you? Nobody's above you. It's you. And the last I checked, most people are really bad saviors. <laughs> that means your life is in trouble if you want to run this way. Now, let me just say one more thing before I go to part two of my message. I've been reading a book called The Question of God. And this is a book I heard about an, uh, a while back. And I, I've, got, I've got like 100 books on my Amazon list. I, I know that's kind of crazy. And, but recently I was reminded of this book, so I said, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm going to get this book. So I'll, and I think it might be relevant to this sermon series. So I, I bought this book, and this book is called The Question of God, and it is written by a guy named Armand Nicoli. You know, anybody heard of this guy? Neither have I, all right? But Armand Nicoli is not famous as a writer, but he's extremely respected in his field, and his field is psychiatry. Armand Nicoli is a professor of psychiatry at Harvard Medical School. So what that basically means is he has attained the gold medal of the, of the field of psychiatry. He's at the top of the top, okay? And he teaches a class regularly at Harvard on the question of God. Quite interesting, right? And I think he's a Christian. And in that class, what he does is he compares the thoughts of two very important thinkers. One of them is... Uh, of two, one of them is 20th century Christian thinker C.S. Lewis. The other thinker that he compares him to is, is a person you might have heard of, 20th century very famous thinker, Sigmund Freud, the father of modern psychiatry. And in this book, he just compares them on point, 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 topic, 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 on how each of them, not only what their actual thinking was, but on their biographies, how they came to think what they think. And he thinks it's a very interesting comparison because I don't know if you know this, but when Lewis was young, he was a hardened atheist. And Lewis and Freud very much shared a worldview. So if you read Freud's worldview, you're reading a lot of what Lewis used to think when he was a young man. But at some point in his life, Lewis began to... He, he met Jesus. He became a Christian and then he began to think through exactly why he doesn't believe what he used to believe. And he very strongly disagreed with Freud. But just this first, this first part, I just want to point out to you, both of them hated authority. They didn't just hate, they hated their dads. Both of them did not like their dads. They hated their dads. And then they began to, they had authority problems, all, all, not just any kinds, of, but all the authorities over them. And then this is really interesting. I thought this was so remarkable to read, okay? Um, this is the way Lewis described when he was a young man. He said, um, I'm on the right page. Let me get to the right page. Here we go. All right. Lewis said that when he was an atheist, his life was full of contradictions. He writes, I was at this time living like so many atheists in a world of contradictions. I maintained that God did not exist. I was also very angry with God for not existing. Isn't that weird? <laughs> I was also equally angry with him for creating a world. Why should creatures have the burden of existence forced on them without their consent? I didn't ask to be born, but you born me. 
I'm mad at you for it, all right? It's kind of strange. And you think, okay, well, Lewis is just saying that because he wants to kind of skewer his former atheistic perspective. I don't think that's true. This is really, I did not know this. This is really kind of shocking to me. Um, Freud's daughter, Anna, said, said that if you want to know my father, don't read his biographers, read his letters. And if you read Freud's letters, this is what happens. Freud frequently, frequently quoted from the Bible, both the Old and New Testaments. I don't know if you know, Freud was ethnically Jewish. His father was a devout Jew. Um, he rejected, he rejected um, Judaism. He rejected any kind of belief in God. He read not only the Old Testament and the New Testament. He knew the Apostle Paul quite well. In fact, he admired the Apostle Paul. Isn't that interesting? Even though he was a very hardened atheist. And if you read his letters, he's constantly citing scripture, which is strange. We're talking about an atheist. In his autobiography, Freud writes, My early familiarity with the Bible story had, as I recognized much later, an enduring effect upon the direction of my interest. Throughout his letters, I mean, letters are, are, are strewn with these kinds of phrases. Listen, I pass my examinations with God's help. The guy doesn't believe in God, but he wrote that in his letters. If God so wills, the good Lord, taking the Lord to task, right, into the keeping of the Lord, until after the resurrection, science seems to demand the existence of God, God's judgment, God's will, God's grace, God above. If someday we meet above in the next world, my secret prayer is this. These are all phrases in the letters of Sigmund Freud's, in his letters. And you could say that, you know, atheists are just confused. And to a certain extent, I'll, let me just say this to you. All atheists are confused. I, I know they don't want to hear that. But they think they're extremely rational, but they're actually irrational at a deep point. But that's not the point I really want to make today. They both hated their dads. They hated authority. Okay? But I don't think this is just a problem of atheists. I think this is everybody in our time. We all hate authority. <laughs> And there's a certain part of us that doesn't want God to be above us, and we're all afraid of God, a lot of us, but we all share the same irrationality. I don't think it's just that we don't want God. It's that we all don't want authority. And when we don't want authority, then we, we, this is what happens. I want no authority because I don't want anybody telling me what to do. But then when we really need guidance, when we really feel alone, when we need somebody to be there for us, guess what? We want authority. <laughs> We want somebody to be there over us whom we can trust. I hate authority. No authority. I long for authority. <laughs> Let me tell you something else. There's a lot of depressed people in our society. I do not think that it is a coincidence that America sells lots of antidepressant medication, that America invented antidepressant medication. There's lots of people... Uh, who are depressed in our society and are even suicidal. I don't think that is a coincidence. Is that and the fact that we are trying to kill all authority in our life, including the most important authority of all, God. That is not a coincidence. Because here's how it works. You get rid of all the authority. Nobody can tell you what to do. Now, guess what? You're your own Lord. And then, as the inevitable, you will fail to be your own Savior. Who do you blame? Your life is wrecked. Who do you blame? 
Well, you know what people do? They blame God, even though they don't believe God. Then they blame their dads because they hate their dads. But then there's one other person that they have to hate. You have to hate yourself. Because you got nobody else to blame. You're your own Lord. You're your own Savior. You have absolute responsibility for your own life, and you wrecked it. Might as well start hating yourself because it's your fault. Anti-authority. It's a really serious problem in our society. Let's go to part two. Let me talk about relativism. Because we don't want any authority, we want to say that all the morality and right and wrong and the things that we're supposed to be, it's all relative. There's no one full way. And I talked a bit about this last week about how Confucius even would utterly disagree with that. The Bible certainly disagrees with that. Confucius disagrees with that. Lots of the, of the wise philosophers of history certainly would disagree with that. But let me just, first let me just throw a bone to all the people who who'd say, I, I'm a relativist. Yeah, I think that's sensible. Let me just throw a bone at it. Why does it seem sensible? I think it seems sensible because we live in, in a pluralistic and multi-ethnic society. You grow up, your mom and your dad, they have a particular religion or a particular race and ethnicity, and they tell you, do things this way. This is how we do things, all these different ways. Some of it is just, this is the way we do it, and some of it is, there's morality in it. But after a certain while, you meet another set of people, and they do things a different way, and afterward, you're like, you know what? It's different, but I like it, or it's good, or maybe we're not going to do it, but it seems to work for them. And we begin to see that maybe, you know, and then we start to wonder if all the things that we were taught, is that really true, 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 true over all people? And what we're missing today is on that point, the sense that we can recognize and embrace people that are different, that's a good virtue in our society. Right? That is certainly very good. But what's missing in our society is there's a difference between what is conventions, what is a convention, and what is wrong? What is wrong all times, all places, everywhere? That's a big difference. And so more and more people are thinking what is moral, what is claimed to be moral is convention. Look, some people like skinny jeans. I don't. <laughs> some people like baggy jeans. I don't like those either. All right? But tomorrow, though, you know, so the, 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 I hope the skinny jean thing will pass soon because I'm tired of looking at guys' butts, okay, and knowing the shapes of their butts. So it's like, okay, it's enough of that, right? Um, if I had to choose between the baggy, stupid-looking jeans and the skinny ones, we'll go back to baggy ones, okay? Uh, but, um, but that's a convention. That is a convention. But there are things that are not just convention. And I want to say... If you, want, if you like Thai food, if you want to eat food with your hands, whatever, okay? That's a convention. But there are some things that it goes deeper than that. That's, like, that's the first part. But let me offer you two reasons why relativism fails. And the first one is this. Relativism is incoherent and it's hypocritical. It's not just, it's incoherent and let me go even deeper. It's hypocrisy. Deep hypocrisy. And let me, let's go back to my favorite guy again, Lewis, and let me quote him because he says it extremely well. Right? Listen to this. The moment you say that one set of moral ideas can be better than another, 
you are in fact measuring them both by a standard. That's exactly what you're doing. Saying that one of them conforms to that standard more nearly than the other. The standard that measures two things is something different from either. You are in fact comparing them both with some real morality, capital R, capital M. Admitting that there is such a thing as a real right independent of what people think and that some people's ideas get nearer to that real right than others. You know, we all want to say all the pathways to God are equally valid. We all want to say all the different moralities. You know, it's just a different way of doing this. So it's very common today. Do you believe that there's an absolute right and wrong? Let me tell you what the right answer for that is. Yes, there is. The answer is yes. Now, do human beings have absolute wisdom to know it and apply it at all times? No, we do not. A lot of people are confused about that. But there is an absolute right and wrong. It's just because we can't always have good access to it because we're dumb. Right? And because, or just because we're clouded or because we are wise in our own eyes. But that doesn't mean that there isn't. But so many people like to think, that, oh, it's just all these different ways. But let me just throw this out at you. Do you know, as soon as we, we think we, that we're so tolerant and we're so open-ended, but all if you actually knew what some of the cult, uh, practices of other cultures are, you would not accept that. Right? Let me just give you an example. There are some cultures in Africa today, and I, I don't mean to get really gross about this, but they have this practice that they call right, female circumcision. That when a girl reaches a certain age of teenage years, you know what they do? They cut her clitoris. Now, does that gross you out? Or do you just go, that's just their way of doing things? Let me tell you something. It should gross you out. And I think female circumcision is a lie. That's not what it should be called. You know what it should be called? It should be called teenage genital mutilation. It should be called abuse. It should be a crime. It's evil. It, here in the West, though, we get really upset about it when we hear about that. And we think it's really gross. But then all of a sudden, this little relativism lie shows up and goes, oh, wait a second, it's just a different way of doing things. No, it's not. And here's the deep problem. It, our heart is telling us something, but we don't really know how to deal with it. Now, let me offer you something else. There is something... You go to another culture, and they eat weird things. So if you go to China, I mean, I found this out when I was watching the Olympics. They eat scorpion. <laughs> and so Bob Costas offered, hey, you want to eat the scorpion? And I was looking at that like, dude, that is nasty. <laughs> and Bob Costas was like, ah. <laughs> you know, Mr. White Guy Bob Costas, right? And he was getting freaked out by the scorpion thing. And I was like, I wouldn't want to eat that. But is that wrong? I would say avoid the poison, but okay, it's not wrong. <laughs> Why? Because it may make you feel grossed out because you don't like it yourself. But now you have to go to something else, another standard. And this is what's missing among our atheists and in the relativism. There's no authority who is going to wisely tell you this is real, this is true, this is right, this is wrong, who is true and just and righteous and kind. There's a big difference there. And, and if you, it's incoherent 
to deny that there is an actual story, and then to say, what happens in our society is we think we're just, oh, you know, we're just so open to everybody, but actually we don't. We, what we do in our society, we say we're open to everybody, and then we impose our morality on them. Hypocrisy. That's what we do in our society. Let me make a point number two. On the second reason why relativism fails. Relativism failed because it's futile. It'll make your life pointless. Last week I talked about wisdom needs to be, is thoroughly covenantal. And what's covenantal? That the reality of the horizontal is utterly conditioned by he who is above the vertical. But if there is no vertical and no authority, and that person can't tell you, there's nobody above you to be able to tell you our society is either going up or down, good or bad, then you know what all that means? There's no eternal. Your life is just 75 short, pointless years. That's all it is. Get your own. There's no up and down. You know, really, there are some people who say war is bad and war is horrible. And war is evil, therefore we should never have war. Well, let me just tell you something. If there is no authority and everything is all relativism, then you know what that means? Then why can't we kill those people over there? Because if we kill those people over there, my life will be a little more comfortable over here. Let's kill those people. Because I only got 75 years to make my life heaven, heavenly. So let's just kill those people because... At the end, human beings are no, no better than viruses or ants. We're essentially just smart rats. The world is a big rat cage. And if some of the rats decide to kill the other rats, what's the big deal? It's just relative, right? I'm sorry. I was just born with the fact that I got to be smarter and stronger and more powerful. And we got the nukes and you don't. Too bad. Right? So play ball. Get to do it the way we want to do it. Or you get to die. That is absolutely logical in a relativistic worldview. And whenever all the people in our society, the secular, relativistic, atheist people, all of a sudden get all moral on me, I just, I just, it's really annoying to me, quite frankly. I think you're really irrational. <laughs> you don't have the right to say that. Right? You don't have the right to say that. But we Christians say we shouldn't go to war with these people because that's unjust. We can say that. Because there's an authority. And we believe our hearts. Not just because it's practical, because it will make us a but from our hearts, this will allow life to flourish. That's what I mean. Second reason, relativism produced futility. And let me make one more point before I go to the third part of my message. I think the real reason why we do relativism, why we want to embrace relativism is this. The real reason why we want to embrace relativism is because... We want selfishness. We don't want anyone to tell us what to do. That's really what it boils down to. Nobody gets to tell me what to do. Nobody tells me I'm bad. Nobody gets to judge me. Nobody gets to tell me I fall short. I get to judge myself. That's it. In our society, I mean, just me, just push us even stronger. There's two things particularly that we don't want anybody to tell us that we did bad on. Right? Number one, our sex life. We have a very powerful thing in our society. Sex is a very powerful pleasure. And we don't want anybody to be able to say, I don't get to have sex with that person, that person, whether man, woman, right? Young, old, married, not married. That's one reason. I think that's one of the reasons. So, so a lot of times when I hear people say they're relativists, I'm just thinking, you just want to have sex with your girlfriend, don't you? 
Let's get real. That's what it's about. That's what we're talking about. But a second reason, and this is for all the more, those of you who are a little bit more proper, a second reason why we don't we like the relativism. So this is a, so all, call it the left wingers like relativism because they like sexual freedom, so to speak. A lot of the right wingers like sexual. They like they like relativism because they don't want anybody to tell them to do what they do with their money. Nobody gets to tell me what to do with my money. Give it to the poor, pay my taxes, etc. There's so many people. On the political right, you know why they're against the government? Because so then they get to pay less taxes. Now, there's some wisdom in that, but I think there's a huge, powerful, just selfishness in that. I don't think the government should have all the money either, but there's just a lot of, you don't have to tell me what to do with my money. And we like relativism because we don't want there to be any standards. So we get to run the show on my own Lord, especially on the money and on the sex stuff. And so, I'm not trying to get you to be a little more cynical like me, but I think this is what's really going on in us, in our neighbors. And it's not going to work. It's not going to produce deeper people. And then at the same time, then we turn, oh, it's become deeper people. Really? It's not going to work. Lastly, all right, how do we get to real wisdom? And I've entitled, I'm giving you a big clue. There is a freedom, a deep freedom, when you learn real submission. Submission to wise authority. When you will willingly take the words of real wisdom and allow your heart to obey. That's where real freedom, real wisdom comes from. And you know, I said before, it it needs to be some person. It can't just be a set of words and ideas. It needs to be a person. And you know what? I, I know most people, you're afraid of anybody who you can take. I mean, most of you, I hope you guys are somewhat afraid of the police. As soon as I see a cop on the road, I'm like, ooh. <laughs> All of a sudden, my, my, I immediately take my foot off the accelerator. I go, oh, there you go. <laughs> That's the first thing I do. <laughs> right? Because, I, you know, I'm just confessing this to you, I have a tendency to drive a little fast, Okay. Right? That's one of the first things I do. And I know a lot of people are afraid of their pastors. I know you guys all act like you're not afraid of me. But most of you, I know you're afraid of me, okay? <laughs> you're afraid of me. Because <laughs> you're just afraid of the next thing you're going you're gonna to show up. He's going to show up and notice, like, gosh, I, I don't know my Bible and my house is, like, messy. And, like, he might notice that I'm a bad parent or something, right? But you know the, 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 the authority you really need? The authority that when you come under that you will absolutely be safe. You'll be utterly secure. You know, we, most of us, we have a father. We know our father loves us. But you, we're, we're afraid of all these things. But you're, a lot of you hate your dad or you're afraid of your dad because he, he, he's the strongest authority. I know some of your moms are scarier than your dads, but most of you, your dads are scarier than your mom, right? And... Um, you're afraid of your dad, you're afraid of your pastors, you're afraid of the cops, you're afraid of your boss, you're afraid of your coach. Because they can just sharp, they can, they don't even have to hit you, but they lash you with their words and you can do this thing. But there's a person under whose authority there is zero condemnation. Absolute security. 
And that's why it's so important that when you go to church, you don't just hear, believe in God, follow God, trust in God. If you go to a church and they just say, believe in God, believe in God, believe in God, obey God, trust in God, let me tell you, you're not going to a really Christian church. You're not going to a gospel church. Which you really, that's why it's so big in our church. You need to hear the gospel, not just good Christian religion. Because the person that will take you to God is Jesus. And so the reason it's important that you hear about Jesus is because it's Jesus who took to the cross. And because he shed the blood, now all the judging, because we all know God is judge and God is Savior. We are all don't want to deal with God the judge. But when you come to before Jesus, you know what you get? There is no more judgment. You only get God the Savior. You get an authority into your heart just absolutely safe and pure goodness. I know you don't believe that. It took me many, 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 many years to finally get, you know, if I go to Jesus, he never yells at me. I don't know if you think he yells at you. If he yells at you, that's probably not Jesus. I've gone to Jesus many, many times. You know, he's never yelled at me. Occasionally, he's sarcastic, <laughs> but he's not, never yells at me. And when you let that pure, unbelievable authority come into your life, that's the pathway to wisdom. That's where it goes. You actually, let me encourage you this. When you're reading these things and you say, my son, just, just think it's Jesus saying this to you. Because you know what it is? It is Jesus saying it to you. It's his book, his wisdom. It's him saying to you, that beautiful authority coming into your heart. And it'll free you and make you deeper and let your life flourish like the way the Bible is promising. Now, to close, let me um, just share this with you. I, I just couldn't resist sharing this with you. Um, this is what you get. You know, if you pick your pastor to be your fatherly voice and the pastor is a big nerd, okay, he, he, he tells you, he gives you nerdy things to encourage you, okay? Um, this is from Armand Nicoli, and apparently he was part of a study done at Harvard, and the studies were, this was what it basically was, how does religious conversion affect Harvard students? They studied this. Isn't that crazy? They did a scientific psychological study on what actually happened. So, on those who have experienced religious conversion, I'm like, code word for they met Jesus. <laughs> okay? Harvard students met Jesus. How does it affect them? Right? Now, I'm not, trying to, I'm not sharing this with you saying, these good things will happen to you. Believe in Jesus. All these good things will happen to you. A lot of good things will happen to you. All right? You should believe in Jesus because he's true. But there's also power. And this is what, and this was published in the American Journal of Psychiatry. Right? This is tenure-track published. This is crazy. So the, the nerds studied this. They published this. Here are the results when you meet Jesus. And I hope this will attract you because I think you can get some of this too. Right? Here are some of the results. The results published in the American Journal of Psychiatry stated that each subject described, listen, a marked improvement in ego functioning. I hope you guys want improvement in your ego functioning, right? 
They, that includes a radical change in lifestyle with an abrupt halt in the use of drugs, alcohol, and cigarettes. They had improved impulse control. I would like some improved impulse control. Hopefully, I will eat less haagen at 10.30 p.m., right? <laughs> right? They then had an adoption of strict sexual code demanding chastity or marriage with fidelity. They also experienced improved academic performance. They had enhanced self-image and greater access to inner feelings. These Harvard nerds who met Jesus, they had an increased capacity for close, establishing close, satisfying relationships. I hope many of you care about that. They also experienced improved communication with parents, though most parents at first expressed some degree of alarm over the student's rather sudden, intense religious interest. What? You became a Jesus freak? Right, but wait a second, our relationship is getting better. <laughs> I guess maybe Jesus is sort of okay. Right? A positive change in affect. That's a fancy way of saying the emotions got better. And with a lessening of existential despair less depression, and a decrease in preoccupation with the passage of time and apprehension over death. It sounds like these people are getting deeper people, stronger people, what the Bible will call wiser people. And I hope some of you want that as well. Do you have the authority, which is the most beautiful, safest, wonderful authority, and receive his words that Jesus reign over your life? And become wise, deeper people. Let's pray. <clears throat> Can it be true, Jesus? What they say of you, the Bible says of you. They can be totally and utterly safe under your authority, under your kingship, under your words that you will not lash us with condemnation and telling us of all the different ways we fail in our fools. They say, well, draw us to yourself and be like a, the most gentle, patient, loving father to us. Would you be that way to us? We need that. We want to be deeper people, Jesus. And we want to have a life where we flourish. So help us go to you. We even need your help to go to you. We go to you and let you reign over us. This whole summer as we listen to your words, may we receive them and let them be written on the tablet of our heart and stop being so wise in our own eyes and trust you. Trust you.